It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. And welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 FM in Toronto. And you can also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app anywhere across the country. If you download that app and type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM. And as I say, you could be uh, listening on your device of choice anywhere across the country at any time of day, 24-7, seven days a week. And if someone is outside of our listening area in Toronto and Ottawa, please let them know if you think that our programming would be of interest to them. And uh, they can follow those directions and they can listen online outside of our listening area anywhere across the country, as I say. And also just to let you know that if you have missed one of our interviews here on Moment of Truth, they do get posted on our website and also on SoundCloud. So you can also go back and listen anytime you want uh, to a previously uh, recorded and aired program. I would like to welcome my first guest to the show today, and it's a pleasure to have her here, someone I've known for a number of years, in fact. And uh, Santi Smith is a multidisciplinary artist and founder of the Haudenosaunee company, Gahawi Dance Theatre. And uh, she's Mohawk Turtle Clan from Six Nations of the Grand River, and it's a pleasure to have Santi here in the studio. Santi, welcome. Scano, David. Thanks Scano. for having me. Yeah. Hey, you know... Uh, we did speak on the phone uh, briefly a little while ago, uh, a few months ago, and I can't remember if it was about your chancellorship uh, or it had to do with a, a performance that you were doing, whatever that might have been. It's one of the things that you are uh, busy with doing, mm-hmm. and I wanted to touch on, on a few of those things because you, you, I guess within the last year or so, you became chancellor at McMaster University? Yeah, it was last year I was um, invited to be become chancellor. So my official uh, role began in September first, and my um, in in installation, as they call it, happened November twenty first. So that was my first convocation. That became official, and I signed on to the um, the the books at McMaster. Well, congratulations Thank on you. that front. Thank you. Uh, so. What does that entail for you now as Chancellor of McMaster? What what are the duties? What are the things you have to do? Well, uh, I'm the boss of McMaster. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and so it is a, um honorary role. Mm. So it's um, symbolic, but also I can be as active as, as I would like to be. Mm. I have some roles and responsibilities. I have to preside over all of the convocations for the next three years. So in order for people to graduate, I need to um, pass that through. Mm. And uh, so that's the number one job. Um, those will happen fall and spring in all of the departments and faculties. And I chair the honorary degree committee, which happens usually in the fall of every year. And I am a part of some of the formal events like the Remembrance Day service. Other than that, I can be as active as I want. Um, I am a full-time working artist so mm-hmm. and on tour. Mm-hmm. So as my schedule allows, I will do um, speaking engagements and also throw my support behind certain initiatives that are happening on campus and it, within the community, Six, Na- Six Nations, um, Hamilton area. But also as I work nationally and internationally, I could also have... Um, uh, make connections and networking through that as well. Yeah. Now, 
um, you, you, as you say, you are busy touring. You have your own company that you've been involved with for quite some time. We're going to talk a little bit about that, and we're going to talk about uh, the the award that you're receiving today, the uh, uh, Joanna Metcalf Performing Arts Prizes that are that are handing mm-hmm. out uh, today. And uh, congratulations on that yeah. front. But uh, yeah, as as the cha- as the chancellor, um, and you mentioned some of those duties that you you are involved with. Why do you think or how do you think this helps benefit uh, uh, opening doors perhaps for other indigenous people? Do you think it does play a role in that? Mm-hmm. I think so. I think being um, having a position of influence in one of the, well, the highest position you could have at McMaster University, which is internationally renowned. Mm. It is um, always scoring uh, high in the rankings. It's number two in um, global impact. So the work that's happening there is is um, really important. Uh, there's a strong Indigenous Studies department that's been mm-hmm. there since the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, great uh, in Indigenous research that's happening um, so it's exciting to hear and know what, what's happening in that front. Um, so I'm the second woman ever at McMaster University, and I'm the first Indigenous chancellor. So those are two sort of really um, uh, forward-thinking, I guess, uh, uh, reasons for my appointment. And uh, the work that I do, as, and I'm actually really the one of the first artists. Mm. So there's the, my my, the choice of me as chancellor is a little bit of a departure from what the normal chancellor would be, um, coming mostly from business and corporate Canada. Uh, so I think that's reflective of uh, the importance of relooking at values and mission of the university and the importance of uh Indigenous inclusion, as well as all of the equity and inclusion diversity that's happening. And also because McMaster is close to Six Nations, that's mm. on our traditional territory, mm-hmm. there's always been that connection to Six Nations. And so I think it's a really turning point sort of appointment. And I hope to be able to, you know, bring who I am to the to the work. And that's everything from being, a, you know, a female entrepreneur artist to um Haudenosaunee, Gongwehoe, Mohawk woman, mm. you know, all of all of those right. those uh, teachings that I've carried over the years through my uh, through the work that I do as an artist, speaking to um, indigenous people from home and from around the world. As you were uh, uh, listing those things, and you were saying it's a bit of a of a stretch or a bit of a, of a of a different appointment because of your artistic background, being a dancer and. And those kind of things, I couldn't help. I had a smile on my face because I thought if they're used to dealing with people in in business and mm-hmm. who bring a certain approach and a certain way of thinking, mm-hmm. and they they've hired, you know, got you in this new position, and I thought they they may not they may not be used to uh, uh, someone like yourself wanting to break into dance to express <laughs> what they have to say. Yes. <laughs> well, I already did. I already sang at two of my <laughs> two of my events, and so I think that was that's I'm going to be the singing chancellor now as well. So. Um, yeah, it's a different, it's, it's going to be a little bit different for mm. McMaster having me as chancellor. <laughs> well, congratulations and all the best in that position. Thank you. Um, so the other thing that you've also mentioned and, uh, we, we want to talk about, we're leading up to this, uh, the, the Joanna Metcalf Performing Arts Prizes, which we'll talk about, but I, I would like to talk about Kahawi, which mm-hmm. you started in 2005 mm-hmm. as the artistic director and, uh, and, and, 
also uh, the 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 you've been nonstop with that since you started. You've mm-hmm. been very busy with mm-hmm. a lot of the projects and. Mm-hmm. And congratulations to the success that that has had, because oh, you've taken you. some work, uh, f- some some very important work uh, in the in the arts uh, w- presentation of of dance, uh, and uh, you've toured these things nationally, as you say, internationally, mm-hmm. and um, that's that's been wonderful not only for you, of course, and your company, but for I think all Indigenous people. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's going on 15 years of the company. And before that, I was an independent choreographer. So in 2005, it sort of um, consolidated under Gahawi Dance Theater, Ongwehoe uh, based, mm-hmm. Six Nations based. And um, I'm still enjoying all of that work, uh, being in the creative world and artistic world. And I see my role as an artist as really important for our community. And if you think, um, uh, the role of artists in our community is very important um, to be able to push forward um, culture and ideas and um, show the beauty and the resilience and the strength and the power of our way of being and seeing the world. So I think I'm following a long line of ancestor work that's just passing through me, and I continue to do that. And, you know, the other thing that it, we should touch on is your projects, and as you mentioned, this this lineage and how you're passing through, you are working with a multitude of other mm-hmm. fabulous artists mm-hmm. that are indigenous as That's well right, that that, yeah. uh, that come together to pre- to to prepare and uh, present these wonderful mm-hmm. things. I, you know, one of the things I've always remembered about your presentations is the sound mm. that you mm-hmm. happen to bring yeah. uh, forward with your presentations, which which have always been absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah, as the director, I have I bring together a whole team of people for a vision of a project, and a lot of the times that's um, creating and commissioning new music from Indigenous artists and non as well. And, um, of course, dancers and actors and performers and in designers. Mm. So it's all it's a lot of work. And when people come to see a show, uh, they don't necessarily know all of the the maybe two, three, up to five years of work that gets um, from the very beginning to the end. And all of the people that come in to um, add to the vision. And recently, I'm really happy. And more often, I'm working with intergenerational casts. So mm-hmm. um, the performance of the Mush Hole mm-hmm. has, um, well, originally, one of my dancers, Julianne, was 14 when I started working. Now she's 17. <laughs> or Yeah, she's getting, o- she's getting older <laughs> on me. And uh, all the way up to um, in my recent production, we span teens to late 60s. Right. So I think that's, uh, that's really... Um, important to be able to you know work across the generations like that yeah the latest production being I know you've got scanna a... so i'm in okay. production for scanna yeah. and scanna and mohawk means um peace but yeah. it also means balance mm-hmm. so it's um a very um theatrical performance where we are setting it in a indigenous future yeah post-apocalyptic post-climate yeah. catastrophe and yeah. a group of survivors have to come in uh, reestablish on this new, newly formed earth, and try to find peace and balance. Now, when you when you first hear that, mm-hmm. you could l- it could be taken negatively, but you've interpreted this as a rebirth in mm-hmm. some ways, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's the through line of mm-hmm. all of my works. Mm. So I'm dealing sometimes with really tragic uh, mm-hmm. stories yeah. and the real life tragedies, yep. like residential yeah. school. But um, I like to always have that through line of resilience, um, that strength, and also um, 
the importance of uh, stra- staying strong to identity, which includes our connection to our kinships, connections mm. to each other and to mm. the land. So mm-hmm. it's all it's all intertwined like that that web. Mm. Now, speaking of the web, uh, if you go online to check out the Gahawi Dance Theater and you you go to their website and see about their upcoming performances, some of their past projects. Mm. Uh, Sandy has some in very, very beautiful, strong, uh, strongly uh, uh, photographed and, and video uh, filmed um, excerpts of different projects that I'm guessing, you know, you're trying to capture the essence of, mm-hmm. of, of these projects. And uh, I think the one I, that, I, that I hadn't not yet seen was the Blood Water uh, Earth one, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool. That yeah, was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's a solo piece that I have, and it's a solo remix of mm. my um, triptych two works, Requickening and Blood Tides, where I worked with mostly Indigenous female collaborators mm. from um, New Zealand. Mm. Um, my main collaborator on that visual design, video design, is Louise Patiki Bryant, and she's Maori from Aotearoa. So it's um, through my work and being an artist, I get to have these amazing perks like travel to New Zealand and film Mm. on the beach Mm. with (laughs) amazing artists. Uh, So um, that is really about, again, finding the sacred within the feminine, reconnecting to our divine female lineage. You think we're entering a uh, a phase in the the world or, or, or our time where... Uh, women are are starting to to become more of a force. Mm, oh, for sure, yeah. Well, we've always been a force. Yeah, for sure. For Hongkwahoi <laughs> people, <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> because we're matrilineal, matrifocal. Yep. So within community, there's always a strong women leading, and even in it's you know from the past to current day, it's just that maybe there's more awareness about it now. So there was a period of time where women's voices were very silent. Mm. It, silenced um um cut down mm. tried mm-hmm. tried to uh be eliminated and written out of history um so you know there's a lot of women globally around the world uh indigenous who are sort of reclaiming their voice and reconnecting reigniting that uh the sense of power and sacredness that we've always carried so I think it's just becoming more visible and people are doing it in different ways. Look, I'm doing it through performance mm. and, and visuals and others are doing it through academic writing. And, mm. and so I think it's, it's uh, you know, other people are doing community. There's a strong group of um, Haudenosaunee women uh, connecting through the Remetriation magazine and meetings and connecting with other women so it's it's uh it's a really great to have that kinship within the the sisterhood mm. for that as well yeah and i think what i was i was alluding to was that it seems to be more on a global level mm-hmm. that we're seeing that even yeah. outside of yeah, the matri- sure. matriarchal society yeah. of, of indigenous uh, communities um great now uh, as we talked about, uh, you've been very busy over the years. You mentioned the mush hole, mm-hmm. which, of course, uh, wha- if, if, if is that going to be remounted at any it time? It is, yeah. So we're on a little, we had our fall tour, which mm-hmm. I think you came to see that in Toronto here at the Young um, People's Theatre. So we're on a little hiatus. We come back again in February, okay. and we're performing in Winnipeg at the Manitoba Theatre for Great. Young People, Burlington Performing Arts Centre, Queen's University Isabel Bader Theatre, 
and then into uh, the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Indian, Washington, D.C. And then we're already touring again next fall. So uh, because of the importance of the work, the content of the work, and also the artistry of the work and telling that story of survivors Mm. from the Mohawk Institute Residential School, um, it's been very impactful and uh, people are really excited to bring it into their community and share it. Yeah. And uh, for those people that that don't know that connection between the Mush Hall and the Mohawk Institute, which was the old residential school, now the uh, Woodland Cultural Center, uh, and Santi has brought this project uh, forward uh, through dance and imagery that captures uh, the that building mm-hmm. uh, physically. And it's great to know that uh, they the Woodland Cultural Center has that great campaign, you know, Save mm-hmm. the Edivins, and they've yeah. got the brick campaign going on, which has yeah. uh, apparently been very successful to help yeah. restore all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Mohawk Institute is going to open as a... Um, a new museum to really share the history uh, of the residential school and educate people um, locally to internationally about what happened. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's a great thing that's happening there. Just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in uh, in Toronto, and uh, my guest is Santi Smith. She's a multidisciplinary artist and founder of the Howie Dance Theatre. And it's a pleasure to have her here. Uh, we did speak briefly on the phone uh, a number of months ago, but uh, it's always nice to have uh, uh, someone uh, who is doing the kind of thing that Santi is doing, be being very successful and helping other Indigenous people in doing so, because she works with a lot of other Indigenous people with her line of work, and uh, she's here because she's uh, going to be receiving a prize. And congratulations to her on that one. It's the Joanna Metcalf Performing Arts Prize, and that's being handed out uh, in Toronto at the uh, Toronto Artscape Daniels Launchpad uh, later today. So uh, congratulations. Yeah, I think You're one of five finalists that yeah, are yeah. being celebrated. There was an announce- announcement of 15 nominees, mm-hmm. and then recently then they chose five uh, winners, and the winners uh, were able to um, select a protege who also gets uh, a, a prize. And so I think that that's a really amazing part of this prize award is that you get to choose an emerging um, artist and help them in the early stages of their career. Yeah, and and that is really wonderful. And um, now each of the winners uh, being recognized receive uh, $25,000, and then you talked about the protege, mm-hmm. and they receive a $5,000 uh, award for a total to be handed out of $150,000 in prizes uh, to be awarded. So uh, again, congratulations to you on that. Uh, how did you know that was coming? Like, did you? No. Yeah. Yeah. So these two things that we spoke about yeah. that recently happened to me, <laughs> becoming asked to be becoming chancellor, yeah. um, this prize, the Met, the Metcalf um, Prize, those were all unexpected. Mm. So I didn't apply for anything. Um, I was nominated for them. Uh, mm. So they came to me as uh, wonderful surprises, and um, and. Uh, that's just, uh, I mean, it's a lot happening recently. So I think that I have to say that um, it's probably uh, recognizing the over 20 years of work that I've been putting into it. So I'm very thankful that this seems to all be happening at once. (laughs) 
and you know, I- it's interesting to note that some of the information about this, uh, about the, this um, that this prize award that's coming out to recognize it, uh, is uh, that according to the Ontario Arts Council, uh, 2016 census revealed that the median income for a professional artist in the province was about $23,454. That's not uh, an amount that anyone could easily live on. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so it's great. And that's what this is about. It it goes on to say, there's a quote, it's troubling fact that the value of each Joanna Metcalf Performing Arts Prize is more than the average uh, uh, artist in Ontario earns per year. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's from uh, Sandy Houston, the president and CEO of the Metcalf Foundation. So um, again, congratulations to you, and uh, I, I'm sure you're you're going to put that money to good use. Mm-hmm. However, you decide yeah, to choose to do you. so, and also it's great that you uh, now you you chose uh, your protege uh, Cody Berry, mm-hmm. and he's an upcoming, I understand. Uh, choreographer and dancer mm-hmm. yeah Cody I haven't worked with him directly mm-hmm. so we were able to choose anyone who met a certain criteria it had to be um, uh, an emerging uh, creator so mm. not just a dancer mm. but somebody who was um, in your f- field because mm. the the other award winners are in other disciplines music and mm-hmm. um, theater but my um, Mine is dance, so mm-hmm. I had to look into my dance community. I really wanted to support uh, uh, up-and-coming Indigenous artists. And um, having um, known Cody and that he just recently founded his um, company, Northfoot Movement, he uh, recently produced um, a commission for Fall for Dance North that I got to see. So, And it's a no-strings-attached type of... Um, prize i don't have to work with him he doesn't have to work with me he can spend that how he he wants to pay rent he Mm. can you know take some professional development Mm. courses or Mm. classes so it's uh just a way of uh you know giving him some extra resources um and i'm sure uh if he's anything like me as a young artist you always put the vision of your work before Mm. actually paying yourself which is not necessarily the greatest option but it's one of those sacrifices that artists tend to make yeah mm-hmm. yes um the other thing I, I i wouldn't mind touching on and and there's there's another connection i think that that you and i share to some degree and i don't know if you remember this or not but uh our our children mm-hmm. our uh, our children were both born within months of each other mm-hmm. so my son is 20 your daughter i'm sure is 20 years old and uh, it's wonderful to see that you have incorporated her as she's come along uh, to, to, to get involved in the line of work that you're doing as well. Yeah, she is, um, she is at university, mm-hmm. McMaster University yeah. in third year health science, but she's also an artist. Yeah. So she has many um, avenues that she could potentially go down and she's kind of at that point of deciding as you know, a lot of 20 year olds are yeah. figuring out what they want to do. And, but then there's interesting intersections, so you never know your life path. So arts and science, mm. I mean, just hearing about all the amazing things that um, that, that are happening at McMaster University be, with research and um, music and, and um, neuroscience. Like mm. there, there's just so many opportunities and, you mm. know, for a career. And mm-hmm. so it's really exciting um, for the n- up and coming generation. Yeah, for sure. Um, when you found out about the uh, the Joanna Metcalf uh, Performing Arts Prizes, uh, you said you, you weren't aware that this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. 
what went through your mind, though, as, as someone that was going to receive this? Well, I got a notice. I got a, a call. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, no, I got an email from mm-hmm. the Ontario Arts Council because Ontario Arts Council is uh, facilitating the distribution of the award. So somewhere along the line, um, through one of my other grant applications, my name was put into a list uh, suggested from jurors. So mm-hmm. really, it would come from people, other artists, mm-hmm. putting your name forward. Mm-hmm. So that's that's um, really encouraging that they would put my name forward mm-hmm. without me <laughs> realizing or having anything connect any connection. And then it goes through another jury process. And um, so for me, hearing about it, of course, I was really um, excited even just to be acknowledged in that way. And um, a lot of the times, and because I, at that period of time, I was very busy with the um, installation of uh, Chancellor, I um, I just sort of held it in the back of my mind as mm-hmm. thinking, well, you know, that, that would be great. I'm not, you know... Uh, uh, there would be a large potential that I wouldn't receive the award with all mm. the amazing other artists who got mm. nominated. So mm. I just sort of left it as, oh, well, that's an interesting possibility. Mm. You know, there's something I was reading that surprised me. I didn't know this about you. Um, you you broke both your legs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was very young, yeah. it was I, I had two separate accidents, and yeah. I broke my femur, and then I broke my ankle, like major breaks, so I had to be in the hospital for a month in a body cast and mm. that type of major injury. And that's actually the one of the reasons why I started formal dance training mm. is through um, Help strengthen strengthening the legs, the legs yeah, and yeah. alignment. They were worried, mm. you know, that I would have um, <laughs> uh, alignment problems and stunted bone growth and all right. that. So that's really in how I became formally a dance, da- da- going into dance training. But I even prior to that, I was interested in dance as a, as a form, it's always been my go-to way of expressing. In fact, easier than speaking. <laughs> so I was one of those uh, weird kids, I guess, who, as soon as they would hear music, would start dancing around and mm. oblivious to the other, the uh, the world going on yeah. around me. But you know, it's interesting also that out of that came your your future mm-hmm. way of life. Yeah, and I was wondering. Um, I know I had to. Um, talk about and I've been doing a lot of speaking and talking about um what motivates me and Mm. and so I I was thinking reflecting back on so even though I don't remember Mm. having those breaks Mm -hmm. because you know Mm. you put it out of your conscious you bury those sort of painful Mm -hmm. (laughs) physically in pain um memories but I feel like when I think about it now is I did have to come overcome those obstacles potentially mm-hmm. that uh, even as this little child, I was I'd had to push through. I had to learn how to walk three times. So just that persins- persistence of okay, this happened, but I have to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I think um, somehow that must have conditioned me to be in the face of adversity. Mm-hmm. I still have to move forward. Right now, of course, the, these aren't the the first time that you've been celebrated. You've received a number of different awards on mm-hmm. for different things. Yeah. And um, what are some of those some of those things that you have been recognized for in the past? I I received um, recent so recently mm-hmm. I was recognized by my community and I received a um, 
Dreamcatcher uh, Award Foundation Award for education, and mm. that had to do with my new role as chancellor. Mm. I received outstanding um, artistic leadership from the Celebration of Nations this year. So nice. that is again just recognizing the um, the history and my body of work and commitment mm. to the arts. Mm. Uh, and then last May, I received two uh, Dora Maver Moore Awards, which is sort of like um, t- the Toronto Performing Arts Major Arts Awards mm. for my production of Blood Tides. Mm. So we were nominated in a few categories, and that's through a jury process of people going out and seeing mm. all of the Toronto dance shows. Mm. And uh, we were the Gahawi won for Outstanding Production. Mm in dance and outstanding performance ensemble in dance. So that went to our whole ensemble and our whole production team. And and then over the years, I, I've won another Door Award for choreography mm. for a past work. And um, uh, I was recognized by Six Nations Polytech, our community, home community in educational institution as a community scholar mm. so all you know it's so it's a <laughs> it's different for uh you know work you know awards from community mm. and then also sort of um art sector awards right. and then awards from arts councils yeah uh, so it's it's been great and most of those i don't apply for <laughs> they yeah. just they just uh, i get selected and and well deserved in in in, in for sure uh, Sandy, it's been such a pleasure having you in today to Thank speak you. with you and yeah. have you in the studio. And congratulations on the uh, on the prize today. Uh, she's uh, going one of five that will be receiving uh, the inaugural Joanna Metcalf Performing Arts Prizes being handed out in Toronto at the Artscape Daniels Launchpad uh, later today. So congratulations to you. Thank you. And I wish you all, of course, the best in the future. Uh, great that you were able to bring uh, Samaya in with you, and it was nice to see her again because I don't always get to see her, but I I do get to see you uh, performing with her on stage when you mm-hmm. do stuff. She was in the the, the mush hole performance. Yeah. I remember seeing her there. Yeah, she gets to perform when she's um, mostly singing now. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so she's yeah, unfortunately yeah. she can't come on tour with us because of school. Mm-hmm. So she gets to. Um, she recently recorded uh, with um, Jennifer Kreisberg and Benet Elijah for our upcoming Skena. Mm. soundtrack and also uh, i think i saw her with someone else recently at an event somewhere maybe mm-hmm. in the summer here mm-hmm. in toronto or something as yeah well, she's something. yeah she sings yeah. with a singing group yeah. Hadio, yeah. and then she sings on her own yeah so congratulations to both of you yeah, and all the best in the future thanks so thanks for having us to come it's out it's been our pleasure so uh nyawa for coming in and uh until next time uh, i'm just gonna say uh nyawa goa and uh ona ona All right. And that's uh, this part of the program, ladies and gentlemen. But please don't go away because we will have more coming up right here on Element FM and Moment of Truth right after this. Welcome back to Moment of Truth on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. Also, you could be listening on the Radio Player Canada app if you download that app and type in E-L-M-N-T-F-M. And also 106.5 or 95.7 ELMNTFM. Uh, just follow the directions. You could be listening on your device of choice anywhere across the country 24-7. And uh, if you know someone that's outside of our listening area, perhaps like our next guest uh, that might want to tune in, uh, you can do so by listening on the Radio Player Canada app. 
My guest on the line calling in from uh, uh, northern parts is Maureen Gustafson, and she is a social and behavioral health science uh, uh, student of, of sorts that has graduated from the University of Toronto and also a graduate of McMaster University, if I'm not mistaken. Maureen, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it is a pleasure. And uh, I heard you say that you're just getting used to uh, the the cold, adjusting uh, from moving back to, up closer to your home community. And uh, it's great that you're you you found work up there. I believe that you were telling us at the uh, uh, the local. Uh, let me see if I got this. Here we are at the Thunder Bay District Health Unit, where you are the uh, health promotion planner in Indigenous engagement. Yeah, you bet. Um, it's been an exciting time to be moving back a bit closer to home. And like you said, uh, readjusting to the cold, I think it was around minus 35 with the wind chill when I left for work this morning. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been great. And, uh, you know, very excited to be able to uh, kind of keep doing this work. Yes. And now speaking of that work and part of the part of the, the thing that you're interested in doing is uh, improving Indigenous public health. Uh, but you came about this in, in a, an unusual way, I guess you might say. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I did do my undergrad at McMaster, like you mentioned, and I did it in anthropology. So public health wasn't necessarily something that was always on my radar. Mm. Um, but I don't know if, if listeners know anything about anthropology, but... Um, one of the things that it does look at is how cultural and social factors affect people's health. And that fits very nicely with public health and um, health promotion, which kind of also look at things like social determinants of health and how those can impact different communities at, at a community or population level. So absolutely, it was a bit of a roundabout journey for me. Yeah, and you know, I, I guess the other thing is that you you didn't necessarily grow up knowing uh, much about your indigenous uh, heritage. Uh, I know you have, uh, like many of us, uh, sort of a um, uh, a mixed uh, background, some indigenous and some uh, uh, non-indigenous uh, heritage. Absolutely, yeah. So I guess I would say um, I did. I grew up knowing about my heritage, mm-hmm. but um, my ability to kind of express it and be open and confident about it was uh, not what it is now. So. Yeah. You know, I did kind of grow up visiting family and attending programming at our local friendship center and, and stuff like that. But um, but again, just because of some of the more covert racism, I guess, I experienced growing up, it, it wasn't necessarily something I felt totally open and, and confident about. You know, I, I thought it was interesting that I read something about you. You mentioned your mom and you talk about how your your mom grew up in a time where the opportunities that you have had weren't necessarily available to her, you know, like attending university. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's something, it, it's something I've been thinking about so much over the past two or three years. So, um, you know, my mom was living on her own at about 14 or 15 years old. Um, and on that note, I also just wanted to give her a quick shout out because it's her birthday today. Um <laughs> But yeah, she was living on her own really, really young because of the way that colonization had impacted her family. Um, and so, you know, at that time, she didn't graduate high school because she was just trying to get by, right? Mm-hmm. Um, high school graduation, college, university, those things weren't even really on her radar. 
because she was just trying to survive in a world that wasn't necessarily kind to Indigenous women, and we know that it still isn't in some cases. But, um, you know, knowing what my mom went through and then seeing her later in life go back to school, she went to college, um, she has two bachelor's degrees, and now she has a master's. So watching her do those things really, really... um, I guess it influenced the way that I moved through my post-secondary journey and and just made me really grateful for the opportunities that I've had. Well, congratulations to her and look out. She's, uh, she's, she's right behind you there in education. She certainly uh, caught up and almost surpassed you there. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. That's not bad. It's a good thing. Yes. It's very exciting. Now, the other thing though, I, I found interesting in your story is that, you you also when i mentioned came about your to to sort of getting engaged more with your your heritage was that you actually had to leave the country to do that to 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 sort of get exposed or see another indigenous culture that was very attached to their their indigenous heritage yeah absolutely so um later in my journey at McMaster in my last year i had the chance to go to um Aotearoa, New Zealand, and stay with the Maori family there. Um, So this was with a group of other Indigenous youth and myself. um, And it was an amazing experience. So, you know, I think for all of us, kind of connecting with them and seeing the ways that colonization has affected them, um, it was a really eye-opening experience for us. And it it was almost validating in some senses, right? Because you know, you know what's happened, but sometimes I think you start to internalize things and then think, oh, is it just us? Is it just my family? Is it just my community? It's a very subconscious kind of um, unhealthy thought process, I think. But to see other people who went through the same thing and to kind of, um, you know, create connections in that sense was really, really powerful for us. Absolutely. Mm. And so, so when you came back, you had sort of a, a renewed uh, interest or a new a new way of, of of empowerment, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. I think empowered was a great word. Um, you know, I can only speak for myself, but uh, in conversations that I had, even with the other youth that we went with, um, and many of us are still quite close. Definitely, empowered was. Uh, something that we felt and it's kind of carried through I mean I've carried that with me anyways on my journey since then almost three years ago now so um yeah it was overall an an amazing amazing experience yeah that 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 was great that uh, I I thought that was interesting just that you that uh, like many of us we have to leave uh we have to leave and go somewhere else to look back and and get a different perspective in order to move forward somehow Absolutely, yeah. That can be very powerful, I think. So when you came back, you finished, uh, you finished up at, at uh, McMaster University. Um, what led you to then to get involved in, in getting to public health at U of T? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So um, as I mentioned a bit earlier, we do learn a little bit about uh, medical anthropology and as, as anthropology students, sorry, so we learn a little bit about medical anthropology and the social and cultural factors that affect people's health. Um, so I found this really interesting. And at the same time, I also um, was gaining a lot of volunteer and work experience in this area. So I had some summer jobs working at the Aboriginal Health Access Centre, 
in my community, um, some jobs looking at Indigenous health on the McMaster campus, um, and different things like that. So I guess my kind of academic studies tied in with the, the experience that I was gaining in volunteer and employment kind of settings really, really uh, led me to that place. And when I heard about the program that I took at U of T, it just seemed like a really great fit. Uh, they were looking for people who were really interested in health equity and looking at social determinants of health and, uh, you know, other important topics like that. So I applied um, and crossed my fingers it would work out, and it did. So, uh, yeah, then I started the program uh, fall after we got back from New Zealand, which was uh, really exciting and yeah. very busy. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so as you, you went through... Um, this idea of wanting to improve Indigenous public health, what, what does that mean to you? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, you know, for me, it was really just about, about learning. Um, it was about a personal learning journey um, in terms of kind of reflecting on how these things have affected myself and my family. Um, so that was part of it. And another part of it was understanding at a systems level how these things have played out. Um, so in things like the Canadian healthcare system and the social services systems and things like that. So, uh, you know, that those, I guess, were uh, some high-level kind of ways that I focused on Indigenous health in, in my degree. And I was also really lucky to gain a lot of uh, practical and work experience with really, really amazing Indigenous folks throughout my time in the master's program. So I did do two practicum placements, um, both in Indigenous research settings, and those, I think, were the highlight of my degree. And really, uh, almost anything that I learned in the program that stuck with me, I, I learned in those settings. Not to say that the classes weren't important, but um, it was really creating those relationships that were... Uh, you know, really beneficial to me and uh, taught me a lot of what I'm practicing right now. So it was uh, a great, great opportunity. And so what are you taking that you're sort of applying then to, to help others? Oh, that's a great question. So I guess um, a lot of what we practiced in Indigenous health research things was about um, engagement and how to tie Indigenous ways of knowing into the things that we're doing. So I guess the systems that we work in often don't recognize Indigenous ways of knowing as, um, as valid. And so, you know, it's tricky to incorporate those ways of knowing when they're not seen as valid, but it's something that's really, really important, I think. Um, and I guess I was lucky in my practicums to see and be a part of projects that were able to do this. So... You know, the researchers worked really hard to be able to incorporate Indigenous ways of knowing in a good way uh, and to kind of move forward in that sense. Um, and, you know, those, those things aren't easy. So, I, yeah, I do consider myself very lucky um, to have learned about those things. And, and, you know, these are the things that I'm starting to try to apply in my role now. Um, I'm still very new. I've only been at the organization for less than two months. <laughs> So, you know, it's an ongoing um, effort, and it's never anything that happens overnight. But um, those learning experiences, I think, were, were very foundational for me. 
You know, uh, there's a couple of things I'd like to to touch on. One is going back to: uh, Do you see a difference in in what you're doing now? Because uh, you you had mentioned earlier, of course, in uh, uh, when you were in your studies, and I guess maybe in high school or other things, where you would you would hear about indigenous based uh, events, and some of the the parents or some of the students would not think it wasn't important to go or or you'd hear some you know offhanded um, racial slurs and those kind of things that you you didn't uh, uh, you didn't address at the time because of what you said earlier you didn't feel comfortable you didn't feel that uh, you know that that is this even accurate am I reading this right kind of thing and um, Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering um, do you see a difference now are you seeing a change uh, from then until now Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's a slow change. It's a very slow change, but I think it's there from my perspective anyways. Um, so, you know, some of the things that I heard when I was younger, such as the examples you mentioned, they're still happening. People still say that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that there's a very slow kind of awakening as to why those things are not okay. Um so, you know, I have been away from home for quite a while now and uh, coming back to see my parents every year and now being back closer to home. Um, it's interesting because you kind of, like you were saying before, you leave for a while and that really um, kind of opens your eyes. And then when you come back, you see things differently, right? So, you know, I do see change for sure, especially in younger generations. Um, I think the TRC coming out was really, really important and that gives us a way to frame these kinds of discussions and something to kind of leverage when we're trying to produce change not only at the national level but at the community level too so you know there's still a long ways to go but in my lifetime anyways and even in the past let's say eight years I have seen some positive change happening um, and more recognition of why the kinds of comments that I heard when I was younger are not okay which is you know, it's encouraging. Right. You're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Maureen Gustafson, and she is a, uh, a Thunder Bay District Health Unit, uh, working at the Thunder Bay uh, District Health Unit as a health promotion planner in Indigenous engagement. It's a new position for her. She just got uh, the position about two months ago and has moved back up to the area of Thunder Bay, closer to her community of Kuching First Nation. And uh, it's a pleasure to have her on the line with us. Uh, Maureen, one of the other things I was thinking about in, in terms of an approach that, uh, th- that y- you talked about, not necessarily do all the organizations or the, 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 the people and, and things that you deal with recognize Indigenous knowledge or the approach taken. And, you know, we always look at Indigenous approaches as very holistic. You know, we never separate things. It's, it's the person, it's the... It's, it's the whole package that we try to, to look at to make sure that it's, uh, it is holistic as we, as we move forward. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that, um, interestingly, there is a growing recognition that uh, health, anyways, is holistic. Hmm. I don't think that, um, you know, mainstream organizations and movements are necessarily always recognizing that this has always been something that's been done in Indigenous communities. Um, so, you know, not totally sure where it's coming from, but 
it is encouraging and I think it is positive, both in Indigenous and non-Indigenous populations. Um, you know, how can we focus on treating someone's physical health if we're not considering what's happening with their mental health or vice versa, right? Like you said, these things are not, um, they're not siloed. Like, we can't look at them separately. So, yeah, there's a growing recognition, I think, that uh, that, that holistic kind of lens is really important. But again, not always linking it back to uh, to Indigenous ways of knowing or Indigenous knowledges. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping to see that kind of uh, pick up or pick up and continue in the next couple of years. Yeah, speaking of the next couple of years, as you look down the road, uh, I know you're very new in this position, and once again, congratulations on on getting the job there at the Thunder Bay District Health Unit as the Health Promotion Planner in Indigenous Engagement. Now, Indigenous Engagement, um, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So it's a broad term, obviously. It could mean a lot of different things. Um, In my context specifically, we're talking about Indigenous engagement in relation to uh, the Health Promotion and Protection Act, which is what kind of regulates and guides public health Uh, activities being undertaken in this province. So within the Health Promotion and Protection Act, they have um, guidelines and protocols and all sorts of standards. And one of those guidelines, which falls under the health equity standard, is about um, the importance of engaging Indigenous communities respectfully uh, in the public health work that's being undertaken, right? That's a fairly new guideline that's come out within the past few years. So I think health units across the province are still trying to understand how to apply it and um, where it kind of fits within their work. But that, that's what it means in my context very specifically. Of course, it's going to depend on um, on who you ask, right, or what the situation is. But, uh, yes, it's interesting to learn more about for sure. And, and going back to what I was saying earlier, when you look down the road uh, into the future, where do you where do you hope or what do you hope to to uh, try and implement or try to uh, where, where do you hope things are, are going and and what you hope to accomplish? Mm, that's a great question, and I can't necessarily speak on behalf of the organization. Yeah. I can only speak on behalf of myself. Sure. Um, but you know, I hope to see um, more engagement, continued engagement. Um, that's really really important, and to try to kind of establish some wise practices in Indigenous engagement. Because, you know, we know this work has already been undertaken, especially in the North where there's lots of Indigenous communities, right, but also in Southern Ontario too, um, and, and trying to understand um, what are people doing well? How can we build off these practices to uh, to kind of enhance what's already going on? And how can we build off the strengths of communities? I think that's something that's so, so, so important, Right. I think communities are the experts of their own realities. Um, You know, people like me are only really there to help support what's already going on, right? Mm. How can we support communities in continuing to do what they've always done? So you studied two degrees. You have two degrees. One's in anthropology, as you mentioned, from McMaster University, and, and public health that you got from U of T and started this new position. How do you think those two... Uh, those two uh, uh, 
uh, help each other, help shape what you're doing, or help give you a, a different lens to look through in, in order to uh, move forward in the public health region of things? Well, that's a great question. I think so. You know, for starters, it's kind of an awkward com- combination in some <laughs> senses because, as I'm sure many of us know, uh, Indigenous people often have had a very um, dysfunctional, maybe, relationship with anthropologists. Mm. Um, so there were a lot of um, really harmful practices that uh, historically anthropologists kind of perpetuated in Indigenous communities. Mm. The relationship was often not positive. So um, it was always a bit tricky for me sitting in classes and trying to reconcile with that negative history sometimes as a student, as an Indigenous student. But it did give me a very useful lens to look at things critically with. Um, So looking at kind of social historical processes and how those affect health. Um, I was really lucky to actually take some classes with some Indigenous anthropologists who were really, really amazing. And um, that experience fed into my degree, as I mentioned, my master's, which focused on health promotion and social determinants of health. And I think that that lens is, um, you know, it's starting to become more popular. People are starting to recognize the importance. But traditionally, public health was um, very kind of disease and epidemiology focused right? This health promotion focus has only really come about, I'd say, maybe in the past 20-ish years, which is relatively new. Um, So there is a growing recognition, but I think, uh, you know, we could absolutely still benefit from um, kind of taking that lens or using that lens more. So, uh, yeah, for me, I think... um, perspective or lens that I kind of gained from from my educational experiences is taking those, uh, you know, being able to look at social and historical processes and understand how they've played out in Indigenous communities um, and how those have, you know, led to some very negative health outcomes in some senses, but also to look again at how communities are kind of reclaiming health because it's happening everywhere, right? Sometimes at different stages, depending on where you look. But, uh, you know, it's a really, really exciting process. So, yeah, really grateful for my uh, educational kind of training, which did give me that then. That's great. And, and, you know, I don't think any education is bad. It does give us perspectives that we never had before. I think that your opportunity to travel gave you a different lens as well, that you came back, as you said, uh, more empowered and being able to to look uh, closer and take on uh, more of a of a of a of an empowered role within your your own indigenous uh, culture and life, and that has benefited you, and hopefully will benefit the people that you touch as you move forward as well. Absolutely, I hope so. And I also was lucky enough to have the chance to uh, spend this past summer in Australia mm. with an indigenous health research team there. Um, and that was a really, really amazing experience too, in a slightly different sense than um, than my time in Aotearoa, New Zealand, but nonetheless really, really important and uh, very empowering too. So really, really grateful for those experiences, and I do think that there's something that I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. And we're grateful that you were able to join us on the show today. Our time is up, unfortunately, but it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Maureen. We appreciate you taking the time to do so. 
Yes, thank you so much, and I uh, appreciate it as well. All right, thank you so much. Take care and uh, stay warm. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. That's Maureen Gustafson. She is working at the Thunder Bay District Health Unit as a health promotion planner in Indigenous engagement. She just started that position a couple of months ago. It was a pleasure to speak with her, an interesting woman, an interesting background that she has shared about the two degrees that she has brought together, anthropology and public health. And uh, that is this part of the show, so it's been a pleasure having her on, but please don't go away. We will be right back on Moment of Truth and Element FM right after this. I also want to say nyawa miigwech wanishi and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa miigwech and thanks for listening.